to take a seat. And uh, let's pray for James as he comes to speak. Should we welcome James back, James and Emily, back to All Saints. It's about the most liturgical procession we've ever done for a long time here. Um, yeah. Let's stretch out a hand, shall we? Pray for God to anoint James. Anything we do is in the power and the gifting and anointing of the Spirit, right? So, Father, thank you for James. Thank you for Emily. Thank you for their kids. Thank you for their love of your word and your church and their deep conviction that through your church, your kingdom is advancing. And we pray that as he speaks to us now, you'd use him to encourage us and to equip us, to challenge us, to empower us. Remind him as he needs to be that he's among friends and family this morning. Amen. feels like being back at home, home sweet home. Lovely to see you all this morning. Thank you for having me. Um, I told Rich that we, well, we came down, I can't remember, a few months ago, and we kind of surprised Rich, um, and we didn't tell him that we were coming, and he was like, you must tell me, he told me off. He said, you must tell me next time you're down in advance. So I gave him about a week's warning this time, and he said, would you come and talk this morning? And I was like, That's, that was great. So he's always got an agenda, has Rich Johnson. He always has got something up his sleeve. But we're here for, um, we've been here for about five days. We've been having some time just to rest and relax a little bit because uh, church life is busy when you're involved in doing different things. So we're up to see friends and family. And it's lovely to just be back in Worcester, to be totally honest with you. So we're down in, we in West London. At the moment in Brentford, I'm overseeing children and families ministry down there. But it's lovely to be back in Worcester because we went for a walk the other day with the children. And when you walk past people, people look you in the eye and they say, hello, good morning, which is very nice. Because in London, everybody looks at the floor like this. And I actively go looking for people to talk to. And I think I probably look a little bit strange, okay, because I walk up to people and be like, hello. <laughs> Not quite that bad, but that would be very strange. Um, so we've... As you probably know, we have had a lot of connection with All Saints over the years. It was the church that Emily and I started coming to when we got married, and um, we were here for about five years on and off. Um, obviously, we were away in China and doing all those sorts of crazy things, but this is where we felt really at home. This is what we call our home church. Um, we had our two eldest children dedicated here um, by the two different Owens, so both by the curates. I don't think Rich was available. Otherwise, you'd have been first choice, I promise. And we got Una done by someone else as well, so sorry. <laughs> but this is where we very much feel at home, so it's great to be able to have an opportunity to come and share with you this morning. I don't know if you know, but this Sunday traditionally is known as Low Sunday. So after all of the excitement and the pomp and the ceremony of Jesus risen again from the dead from last week, this is kind of the back to normal Sunday. And when I told our vicar that I'd been asked to come and preach, he said, you know, it's low Sunday, don't you? And I said, well, yeah. And he said, that's why Rich has asked you to speak. It's low expectation Sunday. I was like, thanks a lot. That's really encouraging. But it's all right. He and Rich know each other. So he's also my brother-in-law. So he's allowed to kind of give me those, those little jabs as well. So disclaimer with this talk. 
<clears throat> I've actually done this talk before, about three weeks ago at our afternoon congregation. So before you think that I'm just lazy and I'm recycling talks, I did actually pray and I asked God, what is it that you want to speak through me to all saints this morning? And he pinpointed this talk. And I was like, well, should I, shouldn't I? And he said, trust me, I feel like there's things that are happening here at All Saints at the moment, this transition period that you're going for, there's transitions that people are going through in their own lives that I want to speak into through this, okay? So there are two things that kind of converged when I was thinking about this talk. The first was a song by Bethel, it's called Take Courage. Okay, and I want to read some of the lyrics to you, because I feel like they really read like a psalm. If you haven't listened to it, look it up on YouTube. But it says this, So take courage, my heart, stay steadfast, my soul. He, God, is in the waiting. He's in the waiting. Hold on to your hope as your triumph unfolds. He's never failing. He's never failing. Sing praise, my soul. Find strength in joy. Let his words lead you on. Do not forget his great faithfulness, because he'll finish all that he's begun. And you, God, who hold the stars, who calls each of them by name, you will surely keep your promises to me that I will rise in your victory. So that was the first thing. I was listening to that song a lot on repeat. And the second thing was that crucible of theological inspiration. Facebook, okay? There's lots of things on Facebook, and about 1% of the time, there's some good stuff. And my friend, who'd started the ministry that we were involved with in China, he had written this question, and I think he knew the answer, but I think he wanted to just promote some discussion, conversation. And he said, can you trust God without fully seeing his purposes in a difficult situation? Can you trust God without fully seeing his purposes in a difficult situation? And I think we all know the answer to that is, yes, we can. We see it in our Bibles, we sing songs about it. It just seems like the obvious answer, and we kind of say yes, and we tuck it away somewhere. But the problem with having that kind of an easy approach to a difficult question like that is it's kind of like a head answer. We know up here, we know what the answer is. It's a bit of a Sunday school answer. Theoretically, God can do anything and everything, but we can almost take that and brush it under the carpet somehow. And so we carry on living our lives that are self-dependent, and so we just kind of pull God out of the bag as and when we need him, a bit like a spiritual crutch perhaps sometimes. But this kind of behavior, it leads to our Christian lives being reliant upon ourselves rather than a trust and an intimacy and a dependency upon God in the small and the mundane and the normal. And I feel like in church, we can get very busy doing lots of God stuff, lots of things which appear very good on the surface. We can get busy doing things which to the rest of the world look like, yeah, that's good. But actually, God is more concerned about what's going on in our hearts. 
the root of the way we want to serve, the way we want to see his kingdom advance. It's far more important than the fruit of what's coming out on the other side. And so we, we have this self-reliance upon ourselves. If we can just keep doing enough, we can push kind of other things to the side once again. And perhaps we might be thinking about the promises that God has given to us in the past. And we might be thinking, well, I haven't actually seen any evidence of God coming through for me recently. I haven't seen evidence of what God said was going to come to pass actually coming to pass. And so we can begin to doubt and begin to worry and to have this anxiety which comes along. And someone said to me, doubt is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you don't ever get anywhere with it. But let's look at what God says about himself. We look at Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 today. So just one verse. It says this, God is not human that he should lie, or a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and will he not fulfill it? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't always keep my promises. It's not always intentional, but I, I just tend to forget a lot. We have three small children, and so my head gets filled with things like nappies and wipes and all these sorts of different things. And I just forget. <clears throat> and I think we all have one chore, one chore in your life, in your household, that you hate above all others. Okay, can you think about that one chore? Everyone got one chore? Okay, so for me, it isn't putting the washing into the machine. It's not taking the washing out of the machine, putting it on the line, putting it in the tumble dryer. It's not even folding it. It's placing it back into the right cupboards at the end. And so Emily will say, please, can you actually finish the job this time? And I'll say, yes, definitely this time. I'm definitely going to do it. I'm just rubbish at it because it took me a long time to distinguish whose clothes were actually whose. I couldn't work out whose was Una's and whose was Emily's and it just all got confusing. I know mine because I wear them all the time. But when it comes to the children, I haven't got a clue. I forget. I begin to choose not to do the things that I know probably that I should do. But thank goodness God isn't like me. Thank goodness God isn't like us. God doesn't forget. God is faithful to fulfill the promises that he says that he will bring about. And so when we face challenges and the circumstances around us, they feel a little bit wobbly. Our tendencies as humans, I think, is to allow our view of God to wobble. We begin to view God and how he acts in the light of how we might act or respond. And so we begin to view God through these changing circumstances, or even worse, as a mirror of how we might respond to a situation or a circumstance. And we think, well, maybe God does change his mind. Maybe God doesn't fulfill his promises after all. Even though he said he would do it, perhaps he's going to change his mind. But the key 
for us as followers of Jesus, as people who call ourselves Christians, is to view our changing circumstances in the light of an unchanging God. The one who says here in Numbers, I have said it and I will do it. I have spoken and I promise I will fulfill it. Now, when we were in YWAM, working in China and different places around the world, there was one thing we could be absolutely certain of, and that was that we would never have enough money, okay? Never quite had enough money. There was always another outreach that we were going on, always another initiative that we were asked to go and be a part of, always some other training that we were asked to go and do some teaching on. It was just kind of relentless, okay? And we'd been asked to go and to scout out a new potential location for a city that they wanted to plant a team into. So they asked Emily and I if we'd go and think about going. So we thought, that's great. We don't have much money, but God will provide. It'll all be okay. So we get to this city. We get to Changsha. And being a man full of faith, I'm checking my bank account every half an hour. No, still no more money. Still no more money. And the one day... I check, and there's 1,400 pounds in the bank, 1,400 big ones, and I think, ka-ching, here we go, let's see who it's from. And you know there's always a reference with your bank account, where the money's come from, and there was just three letters, and the three letters were D-W-P. Now, does anyone know what D-W-P stands for? Okay, for those of you who don't, it's the Department for Work and Pensions. Now, if you don't remember anything else from my talk, remember this very, very important thing. Never spend a single penny that the DWP give you unless you are certain it is yours to spend, because they will ask for it back. I am absolutely certain of that fact, okay? So we're in China. I don't have a a mobile where I can call outside of mainland China and I have very limited Skype credit, and I don't want to touch any of this 1,400 pounds. So I think, I know, I'll call off my Skype credit, but I didn't have um, any Wi-Fi, so I had to go into a public Wi-Fi in McDonald's in the middle of China, okay? So there I am on the phone to them, and you know there's always a lag when you're on Skype call credit, okay? So da-da-da-da-da, right, I'm waiting, and my Skype credit is ever depleting, and I'm, come on, please answer, please answer. And they answer, and I say, Harry, I really want you to check. Is this actually our money, please? And they said, yes, of course it's your money. I said, no, I'm not accepting that. Please go back to your manager, triple check, quadruple check. I'm not touching a single penny of this money. And after I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, they come back and they say, yes, it's your money. Celebration, fantastic. So inadvertently, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs were supporting overseas mission work in China. How good's that? And it was some money that we'd been owed from a couple of years before or something. And they still haven't asked for it back, so score. Or another time, we were at the Wilcox's house about two years ago, and we needed about 1,500 pounds for some flights. I think we'd been back on holiday and we were flying back out to somewhere. And we needed this finances, and we felt like we'd kind of asked everyone that we'd normally asked. And God said, it's okay, I've got it in hand. So we prayed, gave it over to him, 
And about an hour later, one of our friends, completely out of the blue, he texts me and he said this. He said, hey bro, text me your deets, we've got some mullah for you. Now, my street lingo isn't very good, okay? I'm a little bit too white and middle class for all that sort of stuff. But what I worked out eventually was that he's saying, hey, we'd love to send you some money. Please send me your bank account details. So I sent it across to him, and about half an hour later, I check, and he sent us a thousand pounds. I was like, this is brilliant. Only expecting like 50 pounds or something. And so I text him and I say, thanks so much. We've been trusting God for that money. We've been trusting for 1500 um, So that's going a long way towards it. And another hour later, he texts me back. And he's like, oh, hey, bro. Why didn't you tell me? I've just sent the other 500 across as well. It's like, that's ridiculous. Who does that? But God comes through consistently again and again and again. I share those stories to encourage you that in that moment of whatever we're facing, it looks and it feels totally and utterly impossible. And you begin to wobble and you think, maybe God hasn't said to do this after all. But you know what? Our God is a God of the impossible. All he asks us to do is the possible. He asks us to do the small amount and he says, I will do the rest, the bit that you couldn't possibly handle on your own. The part which is way above and beyond anything that we can handle ourselves. And so as we wait for God to provide, whether that's financially, maybe that's for a relationship, maybe that's for the child that we've always been expecting, maybe it's for a health situation, whatever it is, as we're waiting for God to provide we grow. As we go through situations and circumstances which are completely and utterly beyond us, it's like a spiritual muscle which is being exercised. As we grow in learning how to trust, how to be obedient to what God is saying again and again, to step out into deeper waters. You know, yesterday... Um, last night, kind of a personal story, last night I had a really bad ulcer on my tongue, okay? It was a little bit horrible, and it kept knocking against my teeth, and I was thinking, how on earth am I going to be able to talk at church tomorrow? Be like, hello, like this. And I felt like I just needed to give it to God and say, God, would you take away this ulcer on my tongue? And this morning I woke up, no ulcer, cool. And I think sometimes we forget that we can ask God for even the small things. God is interested in all of the little things in our life. And all of it, it builds our faith. It builds these spiritual muscles. But these spiritual muscles, they have a distinct purpose. They're not the kind of muscles of a bodybuilder, which are there to look good, but they don't really have much other point to them. These spiritual muscles have this distinct purpose. And that purpose, it tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, is for the equipping of the saints, that's us, equipping the people of God for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, to build up his church until we are all one 
in the faith. So the purpose is to encourage and to support the wider body. So you're waiting, you're growing through the unknown, through the valley or the dry place or the desert place as we might call it. It isn't just about you anymore. It's about us as a collective seeing God's faithfulness in the land of the living, as it says in Psalm 27. So the trials and the tribulations and the struggles that we go for, go through, they actually affect all of us because we're one body. And actually we all have the privilege of getting to stand alongside each other, to support each other as we go through those dry places. It's never, ever wasted. And the last time I looked, the whole world is encompassed in the land of the living. And so we're called as followers of Jesus to be living testimonies of God's faithfulness, to be signposts pointing towards God and towards his faithfulness once again. The founder of 24-7 Prayer, Pete Gregg, he said once, if your church has only ever experienced one miracle in its lifetime, keep telling the story of that miracle until another one happens. Because it builds faith. It encourages people. Keep telling the testimonies about what God is doing in our everyday, mundane, and normal lives. I love to hear people's stories. I love to hear about the way that God is acting. And if we don't share those things, actually we're robbing from God and what he wants to do in our community and our congregation. And the other thing as well is what it does is it, it means that we begin to forget very quickly what God is doing. It's very easy today to be seeking another, a new, a something more exciting. But actually God is saying, I'm doing things again and again every single day. You're invited into it and I want you to invite others into it as well. We have um, had some interns working with us in our parish in Brentford and it's been lots of fun having them. One of them works, uh, she lives with us in our spare room so that's been really cool. And we came up with this really neat little equation when we were having a meeting with them. And it's this, patience plus perseverance equals character growth. So patience plus perseverance equals a depth of our growth as disciples of Jesus. So that's very tweetable, I think. Patience plus perseverance equals character growth. But actually, it's very hard to do. Because patience requires time. It's not something that you can do overnight. Patience requires doing it over and over again. Perseverance is putting our trust, putting our hope once again in the things that we don't see, trusting that God is who he says he is and he will do what he has said that he will do. But you know, slowly but surely, as these two things come together, patience and perseverance, slowly but surely our trust our reliance upon God is built, and that spiritual muscle grows. And we begin to see that God is not a human, that he would lie, 
we see that he is not a human being that he would change his mind. So going back to this original question that I posed from Facebook, can we trust God without fully seeing his purposes in a difficult situation? The waiting, the hoping, the longing, the expecting, all of it is hard work. Someone replied to this question, and I think they hit the nail on the head. They said this, when we don't understand God's ways, we can trust completely in his character. When we don't understand God's ways, we can trust his character. Because God's character is absolutely unchanging. It's who he chooses to be consistently over and over and over again. And when he says it will be done, the promise is it will be done. Not if I want it to be done, but because I have said it will be done. So when you're up against it, when you don't see any way through, when it doesn't make any sense at all, whatever you're facing, and we're all facing things on a daily basis, the youngest through to the oldest, there is always something. Life as a Christian isn't a walk in the park. But we know that someone walks through all of the situations and the circumstances alongside us. That he says, I'll do this journey with you because I love you. So his character, Corey Ten Boom once said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. We can know God, we can know his ways. It's not just head knowledge, it's a heart experience. <clears throat> So this morning I was thinking, maybe we could just spend a couple of minutes just thinking about God's character. So maybe could the worship band come back up and just play in the background as we think about this. I want us to think about the times and the places that we've seen God at work in our lives. So would you stand with me? just as we were doing a little bit earlier this is our opportunity just to say to God I want to bring whatever I'm facing right here, right now the struggle, the pain, the suffering the unknown I want to bring that desert place to you and give it over to you. So as I read out some of these characteristics about who God is, who he chooses to be over and over again, I want you to think of a time that God has shown that faithfulness to you, that he's shown one of these characteristics to you or many of them. And maybe if you've never experienced one of these characteristics, this morning you can ask God. You can say, God, would you show me your heart in this way?
So our God is faithful. Even when we are completely faithless, our God is utterly and entirely faithful. Our God is kind. He doesn't just put up with us. He actively delights in us. Our God is kind. Our God is for us. Even when everything is stacked up against us, everyone and everything else is against you. God fights your corner. The Lion of Judah is on our side. Our God is honest. He keeps his word. He's not a son of man that he would change his mind. He delivers on his promises consistently. Our God is true. He's not a man that he would lie. There's not a single hint or a word of a lie in him. Our God is patient. He'll wait for you. But he's always beckoning us. Come. Come to me. He's the one who waits when we're far off, saying, come home, son, daughter, beloved child. He's saying, prodigal, would you come home? And our God is our redeemer. He's the one who chose to go to the cross. He's the one who chose to pay it all so that we could be redeemed. It wasn't what we deserved, but he gave it to us anyway. And so every single day, God invites us to come and to lay the situations and the circumstances, to lay our burdens down in front of the cross, at the foot of the cross. He does it over and over and over and over and over again. It's who he chooses to be. And so who do we choose to be this morning? Do we choose to be people who brush things under the carpet, who pull God out of the box as and when we need him? Or are we going to be a people who say, I want to give everything to God because he has given everything to me? We're called to be living signposts towards God and his faithfulness. So let's just give ourselves our worship to God and say, would you be glorified through everything that we do? Today, this week, we want to give it all to you. And would people come to know you in our places of influence, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our homes? Because it's all for Jesus. So let's worship again this morning.